0: Hey everyone, you're listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you, Mike. It's a real honor to be here today. Uh, when Mike called me the other evening and said, what shall I call you? Shall I call you the Reverend Johanny? Shall I call you Pastor Johanny? I said, Mike, I like the term bishop. Just call me bishop. Uh, and then I said, Mike, let's go on the first name's basis, and uh, we're going to see why in the Word of God from the first book of Peter, how the great apostle introduces himself not as the apostle, but as a fellow elder. And uh, so it's a great joy to be sharing God's Word with you today. I'm very excited to tell you about a book that we are able to offer you today, and it's called Finding Faithful Elders and Deacons. It's published by Nine Marks, so it's doctrinally sound, and it's written by a brother by name of Tabiti Anyabwili. He's a pastor in Washington, D.C. I've heard Tabiti speak on this subject, and uh, the book, I've read the book, the book is absolutely excellent, and I really do recommend it to you. Now, to obtain a copy, a PDF copy of the book, all you need to do is to send me uh, an email, and uh, my email address Is there on your screen, and you just need to send me that email and request the book, and I'll send you, by return mail, a copy, a PDF copy of the book in the next day or so. So I do commend it to you. You say, well, who should read it? Obviously, elders and deacons should read it, but really all of God's people should read it. There is material in the book, and the more equipped we are as children of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, uh, the more equipped we are to serve him, and the greater value it can be in his kingdom and to our church. So I do want to recommend the book to you and uh, invite you to request your own copy. So now please, will you turn with me to the Word of God? And it's the first letter of Peter, First Peter chapter five. We've come to chapter five uh, in First Peter, and uh, we're going to read the first seven verses of this chapter. Background to the book is that Peter is writing to Christians who had been scattered, like a farmer scatters his seed. Right up front, Peter had said that he was writing to the the elect exiles of the dispersion. The Greek word translated dispersion is the word diaspora, and it means to sow. It's a very violent metaphor. It's something like the Taliban coming to town and shooting everybody up, and everybody is scattered by the persecution. The reason why they were scattered like seed was not because of crimes they'd committed or because of political views or even because they were trying to change the systems of the day, but simply because of what they believed. They believed that the entire human race was depraved and under the judgment of God. They believed that Jesus Christ came to earth as God in the flesh, that he was crucified as a punishment for sin so that our sins could be forgiven, and that he rose to make us righteous before God. Christians in every age have been persecuted for those beliefs. The gospel message is a radical message. The gospel message has been offensive in every generation. Christians have been hated for this message. There are 200 countries in the world today, and Christians are persecuted for their beliefs in more than 120 of these countries. In Iran, there is a brother Christian who is serving 10 years in prison simply because he was reading his Bible and was caught. Ten years in prison for reading his Bible. Just the other day, a pastor in India was beaten with a club to death because he shared the gospel with a neighbor. And this is the kind of thing happening even in the world today. And so the message of First Peter is that it doesn't make sense to live as a Christian in this world unless... The gospel is true, and something really big is coming after this life. That is the message of First Peter. And so then, with that bit of background, let's read the Word of God, and then I want to unpack the text under three headings. Living as a Christian makes no sense in this world. Living as a church elder means sacrifice now and reward later. And then thirdly, living as a church member means submission now and glory later. So let's read the word of God, First Peter chapter 5, reading from verse 1. And so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And so far do we read, in God's holy word. So the first thing we want to talk about today is that living as a Christian makes no sense in this world. The first word in chapter 5 is the word so. And it's a very important word because it links all that Peter has already said with what he's about to say here in chapter 5. The Greek word so is the word un, O-U-N. It can also be translated as therefore. So in the light of everything that has already been said, therefore, Peter is going to say these things. So right through the letter, Peter has been saying that Christians are called to live in a kind of way that can only be explained if there's something beyond this life. The hope that Christians have is not that God would make us rich, or that we would be healthy, or that Jesus would help us to live our dream. That is not the gospel. No, the hope that Christians have is that we are going to be with God forever, and that we are going to share the glory of God forever. Peter told us that in chapter 3, verse 19, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he may bring us to God. Jesus died to bring us to God. That is why he died. Psalm 16 and verse 11 says that he's going to bring us to God, not so that we may be punished, but so that we may enjoy the pleasures of God. It says, eternal pleasures at his right hand. Peter's been saying this right throughout the letter. I want to give you just two examples of what he's been saying. In chapter 1, verse 6, and chapter 3, verse 9. Chapter 1, verse 6. He speaks. He speaks and he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. That term, little while, really means lifetime. Peter is saying these people who have been shattered by persecution, some of them are going to be persecuted for their entire life. And Peter wants them to rejoice about that. He wants them to rejoice that they are being persecuted. I don't know of any counseling manual that advises this. It gets even worse. Chapter 3, verse 9. So do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. And so when Isis comes to your village and rounds up the Christians and beheads them, and when Boko Haram comes and rips the babies out of the wombs of pregnant women because they cannot recite the Quran and so they're obviously not Muslim. Peter wants us not to repay evil for evil. He wants us to bless our persecutors. Brothers and sisters, this would be bizarre advice. Unless the gospel is true, And unless there is really something big that God will give us in the future. That is the only reason why Christians can serve and sacrifice and even suffer. Because the hope we have is not in this world. It's in the next world. Living as a Christian makes no sense in this world. Secondly, Peter says... Living as a church elder means sacrifice now and reward later. Sacrifice now and reward later. So now Peter is going to take this truth that he has already established in the whole of the book, and he is going to apply it to elders. He says to the elders, "I want you to shepherd the sheep. I want you to help the sheep because suffering and persecution are really hard. I want you to feed the sheep." I want you to shepherd them. I want you to care for them. I want you to remind them where their hope is, and I want you to point them to where the glory is. That's what he's saying in verse 2. Take the oversight of their souls seriously, because they are God's sheep. They're not your sheep. They're God's sheep. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, we are told that one day elders will give an account to God for the sheep that God entrusted to them. And so in verse 1, Peter introduces himself not as an apostle, but as a fellow elder. I want to remind you that Peter was a real apostle. The apostles today are not real apostles. Their names are not written in Scripture. Only those apostles are real apostles. The apostles had massive authority in the early church, and rightly so. They had been personally selected by Jesus. They had received the truth from Jesus. And they had been sent out by Jesus. And so when they spoke, they were representing Jesus. And so they had enormous authority in the church. Peter comes and he writes this letter and he speaks to the elders and he lays all of that authority down and he says, I'm a fellow elder with you. You see, godly leadership is not about position. Godly leadership is not about title. Godly leadership is not about image. Godly leadership is about humbly serving the sheep for the glory of God. Peter goes on in verse One there, he says, I was a witness to Christ, as were all the other apostles as well. I saw him with my own eyes. I saw his crucifixion. I was there. I saw him go into glory at at the ascension. And Peter says, one day I'm going to follow. I'm also going to go to glory. And so are you going to go to glory. I'm a partaker in the glory. The Greek says glory sharer. I'm a sharer in the glory of God. Verses 2 and 3 are all about the conduct that is required of an elder. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, the apostle Paul described something of the character of an elder. And now Peter builds on that and speaks about the conduct of an elder. And he says, being an elder is far more about being who you are, it's far more about who you are than what you do. Let me repeat that. Being an elder is not so much what you do, it's about being who you are. So the focal point of what it means to be an elder really comes at the end of verse three. Peter says that elders must be examples to the flock. I want you to hear what Peter is saying. Peter is saying that an elder is called by God to be an example to the flock of what it means to be a Christian. An elder is called by God to be a picture to the congregation of what it means to be a Christian. So the primary role of an elder is not to be a member of a board. It is to be a mentor to the body. The main job of an elder is not to be a committee member, it is to be a coach. The most important responsibility of an elder is not to be an executive member, it is to be an example of what it means to be godly. Showing people what being a Christian looks like, that's the main role of an elder. How to walk with God, how to have a quiet time, showing people that. One of my perceptions as a pastor over many years is that probably many, if not most, Christians do not read their Bibles on a daily basis. I hope you do, and I encourage you to do that. How to pray. Why we believe the Bible is the word of God. I'm delighted with the Doctrine and Devotion series currently being presented. What does a godly marriage look like? how to lead your family as a man of God, how to share the gospel. This is what discipleship is really all about. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he said, Set the believers an example. Here's the word again. Set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So the primary calling of an elder then is to be an example. And this is the lens through which we see everything else that Peter is saying. And so let's have a look then at verses 2 and 3 and some of the specifics of what he applies to elders. The conduct of an elder. Obviously it's not an exhaustive list. It's kind of like an ad hoc list. Some of the specifics that relate to the conduct of an elder. Verse 2, an elder should lead and exercise oversight not because he's under compulsion but because he is willing. In other words, because he really wants to do it. I've known many people over the years who said, Pastor, I'll do it if no one else is available. What they're saying is I don't really want to do it. And if you can find someone else, then I'd I'd appreciate if you could do that, but if you can't find anyone else, come back to me, and and then I'll be your man. And Peter is saying that God doesn't want people like that to be leaders in his church. Because they won't be able to be an example. No, God wants godly men who desperately want to do it. They love Christ. They love the church. They love the gospel. They know what will happen if the sheep do not have shepherds. The sheep will scatter. And so therefore they are desperate to shepherd the sheep. And they want to be shepherds. That's the kind of thing God is looking for in an elder. Verse 2 says an elder shouldn't be an elder for shameful gain. The Greek is very strong. It says don't be eager for base gain. The King James Version puts it so well, don't do it for filthy lucre. I kind of like that, filthy lucre. It means don't be someone who wants to be paid to serve the Lord. Don't be someone who wants to be paid to serve the Lord. I mean, this goes right across the culture of our day. Now, of course, the elders who preach and teach Scripture, they should be compensated well. The Bible is clear about that. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 17 the elders who preach and teach should receive double honor. They should be compensated well. I want to just pause for a moment and just pay tribute to the high standard of expository preaching that we receive from Greg week by week by week. Praise God for that. There's an enormous amount of work that goes into it, and we thank God for the high standard of preaching at CG week by week. But that's not what Peter's talking about. Peter's not talking about elders being compensated for serving God well. That's really not what he's addressing. Obviously there were charlatans in the church back then, as they are today, who were in it for the money. And Peter is saying that's not how it should be. Verse 3, an elder mustn't be domineering. Of course not. Because the primary role of an elder is to be an example of what it means to be godly. Godly leaders are not in it for position. Godly leaders are not in it for power. Godly leaders are not in it for title. Words like these should not even be used in church. Now the truth is this view of leadership really doesn't make sense in this world. And that's what Peter is really saying. Because the way to get things done in this world is by using power, money, and control. You pay people. You entice them. You incentivize them. You reward them. You even reward people to take the vaccine. How bizarre is that? So if Peter was standing here today, and we were to ask him, Peter, how is it possible to lead, like you are speaking, in a world like this... How is it possible to be an example like you are saying in a world like this when there isn't a single course on leadership that even teaches this? And the answer is in verse 4. That when the chief shepherd appears, when Jesus returns, when the chief, chief shepherd appears, he's going to give you something. What is he going to give you? He's going to give you glory. He's going to give you an unfading crown of glory. I mean, we don't even know what that is. It's just something really grand. An unfading crown of glory. The Greek says, glory crown. We're going to be glory sharers wearing a glory crown. I love the way the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 2, verses 6 to 10. He says, God will reward each of us for what we've done. He will give eternal life to everyone who has patiently done what is good in the hope of receiving material wealth, pain-free health, and the fulfillment of their dreams. Is that what it says? No. In the hope of receiving glory, honor, and life that lasts forever. But he will show how angry and furious he can be with every selfish person who rejects the truth and wants to do evil. All who are wicked will be punished with trouble and suffering. It doesn't matter if they are Jews or Gentiles, but all who do right, they will be rewarded with health, wealth, and happiness so that they can live their best life now. No, that's not what the text says, so that... They will be rewarded with glory, honor, and peace. See, if you are a Christian, you are going to receive glory one day. In fact, you are going to be in glory. Cheryl Durhan, she is in glory. She has become a glory sharer. God has shared his glory with Cheryl. And if you're a Christian, you are going to get glory one day. But Peter is saying we do not need it now. It's not for now. That's why we can sacrifice. That's why we can serve. That's why we can be examples. That's why we can be role models of service. Washing dishes, mopping the floor, fetching the preacher some water. Thank you, Emil. Doing the humble things. Thank you, techie guys at the back. Appreciate that week by week. Thank you to the guys who stand at the door and sanitize their hands and tick off the names on the list when we have in-person services. Doing the humble things. That's why we can do those things. Because we're not looking for glory now. We're looking to glorify God now because we know that in the future, He will share His glory with us. Then Peter takes that same truth and he applies it to the whole church. He says, living as a church member, and I mean by church member, someone who's part of a church, not necessarily a formal church member. Living as a church member means submission now and glory later. And so Peter starts with the word likewise in verse 5, because now he's speaking to everyone. He's speaking to the whole congregation. This is for everybody. He's been speaking to the elders, specifically. Now he's speaking to everyone. And he uses the same structure, the same pattern as he did in the preceding verses. The lens was previously in verse 3. Now the lens is in verse 6. Humble yourselves before God. Someone who humbles themselves before God will have no problem subjecting themselves to the elders. Dear friends, the only way that church can work is if you have a group of godly men who can teach Scripture leading that church. Let me say that again. The only way the church can work is if you have a group of godly men who can teach Scripture leading that church. They love their wives. They lead their children. They're examples to the flock of how to live for Christ. They can explain the things of God. And then the congregation willingly follows that godly example and submits to the elders and to each other. And every person in the congregation does their part. And if you, want a health, if you want a definition of what a healthy church is, there it is right there. Verse 5 says we should all do this. Verse 5 says, clothe yourselves with humility. It's an interesting picture of getting dressed and putting on clothes. What is Peter saying? Well, Peter is saying, don't be remembered at church for the clothes that you wear, but rather be remembered for being a humble servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be remembered for the style or the clothing you wear, but let them remember you because you were humble. So you're willing to serve in any way because you love Jesus and you love this church. And I mean, this is also a timely word for, our church, uh, for the church today. Now, friends, the truth is, you are not going to be noticed in this world if you live like this. You're not going to get a job if you interview like this. You've got to promote yourself. You've got to show what you can do. Advice like this just doesn't make sense in this world. Well, verse 5 says, God opposes the proud. None of us wants God to oppose us. Verse 5 says, but he gives grace to the humble. What does that mean? Don't we all have grace? Aren't we saved by grace? Don't we live by grace? Isn't our corporate name covenant grace? What does he mean? He will give grace To the humble. Well, Peter is saying he will give more grace. There's going to be more grace. That's what verse 6 is saying. The people of God are one day going to be exalted by God Himself. This is absolutely stupendous. Humble yourselves now in this life under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time when Jesus comes, God Himself may exalt you. This is absolutely stupendous. That God would exalt us. That God would give glory to us. This is amazing grace. You see, my dear friends, not long from now, there's going to be something really mind-boggling happen. Listen to Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, verse 43. Then, Matthew thirteen forty three. then, not now, then, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Then, when Jesus comes, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. There are many Christians around the world. No one's even heard of their name. Yet they love Jesus, they're sacrificing for Christ, they're serving the gospel, they live in very difficult conditions, they're humbly serving God, and yet only a few people even know they are there. Most of you have probably never heard of the 20-rupee church in India. One day I'd like to tell you about that church. Jesus said a day is coming when the stars of the universe are going to shine with the names of all those who knew him. One of them is my friend in Myanmar. Let's just call him John. Obviously not his real name. If you know anything about Myanmar at the moment, you know it's a very rough place to live. People are having a tough time. Christians are having an even tougher time. About a month ago, when the G7 was meeting in England, John put a post up on Facebook, appealing to the G7, appealing for help. Please help us. We are suffering. I wrote to John and I said, Brother John, the G7 hasn't even read your post. The G7 doesn't even know you're there. I think of Abra in Ethiopia. Dino in Sonopur in India. Yevgeny in Ukraine. I'm trusting that one day some of you will come with us in serving some of these saints when travel becomes available once again. Ben in Kirkwood. Loisu in Motherwell. Nakhil in Bangladesh. I was speaking at a pastor's conference one time in Bangladesh about 70 pastors there, half of them from a Muslim background, the other half from a Hindu background. And at one of the breaks, the leader said to me, do you notice some of the marks that, that some of them have in their faces? And I said, yes, I have noticed. What what is it? I thought, well, it's some kind of illness. And he called one of the brothers, and he said, open your shirt and show Pastor Neville your, your chest. He opened his shirt, and I saw the same marks on his body that were on his face. I said, brother, what has happened to you? Now, what plant has come near you? And he said, Pastor Neville, I've been burned. I said, what do you mean you've been burned? He said, well, they came to my home in the middle of the night, and they burn down my home. They try to burn my wife and my family and myself because we are converts from Islam, or we are converts from Hinduism. There are these brothers in this hard place. Nobody knows they are even there. They are preaching faithfully week by week by week, loving those people, shepherding those people. Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 13, it's just a matter of time, a great reversal is going to happen. The stars are not going to shine with the names of the G7. No, it's these humble followers of Jesus who are going to be exalted, says verse 6, by God himself, higher than any human being could even imagine. So Peter is saying the glory is not for now. This is the fatal error of the prosperity gospel. They think it is for now. They think that they should have material prosperity now. They think that everything should go well now. They think that they should be exalted now. They want it all now. And Peter is saying you are going to get it, but not in this life. You're even going to be a glory sharer, but not yet. And so elders don't need to be incentivized with money and power and position. Not if they're godly followers of Jesus, they don't need to be. And we in the congregation, we're not interested in exalting ourselves. All we want to do is to bring glory to Jesus. The mind-boggling thing, and I struggle to get my head around this, The mind-boggling thing is that when Jesus returns, he's going to exalt you. He's going to share his glory with you. How amazing is that? The media loves to play the game. So what is the net worth of? What's the net worth of Jeff Bezos? What's the net worth of Bill Gates? What's the net worth of Elon Musk? Those dollars are going to seem like Monopoly money when Jesus comes. Some years ago, my wife and I were in Monte Carlo. It's about 20 years ago now. We stood outside the main casino there. They have two casinos, the main casino and then the one for the tourists. And we stood outside the main casino and watched the luxury cars pulling up. I had never seen opulence like that in my life. We stood overlooking... The marina, and and looked at the yachts pulling up in the marina. My eyes were like saucers. Gold-plated cutlery. I kid you not, I have the photos. Friends, that's going to look like kids' toys in the tub. Compared to what you're going to get one day in glory. I want to appeal to you, brothers and sisters. The hope that Christians have is not in this world. It's in the next world. Please don't live for what you can get from this world. Live for Jesus and for his glory. I want to close with verse 7, because verse 7 is a wonderful invitation. Of course, Peter is speaking in the context of persecution. And he knows all about suffering. He knows about persecution. He knows how hard it is. And to people... Who are experiencing the toughness and the trials of persecution, he concludes with this great invitation: cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. I wrote to my friend John in Myanmar. I said, John, the, the G7 hasn't heard you, brother, but Jesus has heard you. And one day, your name is going to be shining like the stars of heaven in the universe because your Father is going to exalt you. And all I could say to him is, cast your anxieties not on the G7. They're not going to help you. They don't even know you're there. But cast your anxieties on Jesus because he really does care for you. And to you here this morning and to those of you at home, I offer the same invitation to you that Peter offered those those persecuted Christians in those days. These are tough times in which we're living. There are people who have lost many things. Some people right now in hospital, maybe even relatives or friends of ours, fighting for their life because of the virus. And God calls us today. He says, cast all your anxieties on me. Because I care for you. I want us to bow our heads in a moment of prayer. Let's come to him, the God of all grace. The supreme living God who one day will give us glory has also promised his grace for the here and now. Let's bring to him our anxieties and say, God, hold us up with your grace so that the burden does not become too much for us. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that it would bear fruit in our lives. We pray to you, Lord, for these days in which we live. They're not easy days. They're tough days. And Many of your people are carrying burdens of all kinds. Some are finding the going too hard to bear. They're wondering if there is a God. And Lord, I pray that in these days of despondency, you would reach out to them by your spirit. I pray that you would draw them by your word and by your spirit to your word. and Help them to find the grace which they need in this time in where they need you. Thank you that your grace is sufficient. Thank you that your grace does make the difference. And Even as we cast ourselves upon you today in faith. We pray that your spirit may come to us and he would give to us that which we are really needing. Give to us the encouragement, give to us the grace, give to us the strength we need so that we can keep living to your glory and praise. And we pray these things today through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.